Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to worship with us here on April 26th, 2020. This is the day that the Lord has made. We are here to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm here at Cokesbury United Methodist Church in the beautiful heart of Woodbridge, Virginia, leading worship all by my lonesome here in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. I am happy to be here, happy to be able to present worship for those of you tuning in, whether you're on Facebook now or on YouTube later. This is certainly a strange time for all of us, but especially for the church. I've told a number of people that uh, I hope I never have to be grateful for an empty church on a Sunday morning like I do right now. Uh, it is a pretty rainy, dismal day here, which is all the more reason to stay at home, stay away from other people, uh, exercise good hygiene, wash your hands, uh, and don't forget to call and ask for help if you need it. Uh, one of the things I wanted to start out with uh, in worship here today, many of you know, if you've ever tuned in before, or if you've ever been with us in person for worship on a Sunday morning, there is a responsibility that pastors have to make fun of other pastors. It's probably not the best thing to do all the time, but I have a few pastors I love to make fun of. Uh, probably the easiest target in the world is a guy by the name of Joel Osteen. Don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, he likes to hold up his Bible and say things like, this is my Bible, with it I will pray. And when he has his church together, uh, he tries to implore them to do all sorts of crazy things, and he shares with them a word that if only they prayed harder, they'd be healthier and they'd be wealthier. Well, I know a lot of really, really phenomenal prayer warriors in my life who are not nearly as healthy or as wealthy as they'd like to be. Uh, so it's easy to make fun of Joel Osteen because he is selling a product to the people who come to his, I hesitate to even call it a church, uh, when they get together. Uh, so it's easy to uh, single him out and make fun of him. Another person around his bracket, his like sort of tier of worship and preaching is a guy by the name of Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland uh, is a televangelist. I think he's in Texas. And he is, if he's famous at all, he's famous for telling his church that they need to raise more money so he can buy himself a private jet. I think at this point he's on his fifth private jet. And when reporters and other folks have sort of pushed against Kenneth Copeland for this kind of behavior, he has said many, many times that he has to fly in the air by himself because he can't be on a commercial airliner with the rest of the heathens because the only way for him to hear the voice of the Lord is to be above all the rest of us. And so he chooses to fly up in the sky as if God is somehow more up there than down here with the rest of us. Uh, and just a few weeks ago, Kenneth Colvin had to be told by the authorities that he wasn't allowed to have his church gather in person uh, for fear of spreading the coronavirus. So he did what I'm doing right now. He had a, a live stream service where he and his cronies gathered by the altar and they started shouting at the camera, telling the, the demon of this pandemic to go away. And he, at the end, decided to get really close up with the camera with his kind of crazy looking eyes. And he said, coronavirus, I breathe you away. best part of it is maybe breathing, uh, spreading your germs like that isn't the best thing to do right now to try to make the coronavirus go away. I, I just can't, you know, really get over certain preachers like that. Uh, but I begin today with uh, thoughts of Kenneth Copeland because we're going to talk about airplanes a little bit later in the service today and how if you choose to remove yourself from the plight of the rest of the world, you miss uh, the gospel at work. If you try to hide away in your ivory tower, 
uh, you don't get to be part of the kingdom like the rest of us. So Kenneth Copeland, on the very, very, very off chance that you ever hear this, I hope that you find yourself one day flying on a commercial airliner because that's where Jesus loves to do his work. I want to share a couple of little announcements with you. The first is that uh, keeping with Bishop Sharma Lewis, the Bishop of the Virginia Annual Conference, uh, we are not going to be having in-person worship as long as there is a stay-at-home order for the state of Virginia, which as of today isn't until June the 10th. Uh, it could be moved up sooner or it could extend further into the summer. We're going to try to keep the church uh, as abreast of this news as much as is possible. Uh, we continue to send out information through our church uh, email account. We have devotionals we're sending out, prayers. We have online weekly Bible studies on uh, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock. Uh, friends of mine and I who do a podcast have been having guests come on every couple Thursdays apart. We had Diana Butler Bass join us this past Thursday. Brian Zond will be joining us on May 7th. If you want to participate in any of those things, just reach out to the church. You can send us an email, cokesburyumc at gmail.com, and we'll make sure that you are included on all that information. The other thing I want to share is that tomorrow is April the 27th, 2020, and that means tomorrow is my son Elijah Wolf's fourth birthday. And because I know you're watching, Elijah, I just want to say, buddy, I love you. Your mother and I think you are the greatest gift God has ever given to us. And we're so, so excited that we get to celebrate your fourth birthday with you tomorrow. I love you, kiddo. Uh, and it is also my wife, Lindsay, and my sixth wedding anniversary. Uh, we decided it would be great to have our son on our second wedding anniversary. And so every year we get to celebrate not only his uh, trip around the sun, but another year that we've been married together. So Lindsay, because I know you're watching, I love you. You haunt me with your beauty and you have made me a better person. I love you. Enough of that personal sentimental stuff. Now to the worship of God. I neglected to add also that if you would like to follow along with a bulletin that has our scripture, prayers, him, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you can find it on our website. It's also uh, linked in the description below for this video, uh, if that's something you would like to use to help follow along with worship. Uh, so as you're able, as you're able to make yourselves comfortable, would you please join me in a word of prayer? Lord, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the proclamation of the word, the breaking of bread, and cutting them to the heart. Open the eyes of our faith, that we may behold your Son in all his redeeming work. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings, with your most gracious favor, and further us with your continual help, that in all our works begun, continued, and ended in you, we may glorify your holy name, and finally, by your mercy, obtain everlasting life. Wherever we are, O Lord, and whoever we are, we now lift up to you our own joys and our own concerns on this day, those things for which we are grateful and those things for which we need help.
And as you taught us, O Lord, so now we pray out loud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter, verse 14a, and then 36 through 41. This is coming to us from the New Revised Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice, and he addressed them. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent! Be baptized, each and every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments, and he exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcome his message were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 persons were added. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I am a Methodist, which means I do not know how to worship without singing. Uh, so I'm going to be singing a hymn from our hymnal. It's number 140, which is, Great is Thy Faithfulness. If you would like to join along singing at home or wherever you may find yourselves, uh, the words to this hymn are available on our online uh, bulletin. You can find it in the link in the description of our video, or you can go to our church website, cokesburyumc.church, and you can find it there. So as you're able, would you please join me in the singing of Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, 
Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. Amen. Now when the crowds heard all of this, they were cut straight to their hearts. And they said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what should we do? Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. He got onto the plane carrying around all his extra girth, hoping for an emergency exit room in which he could stretch out his already too long legs. He was a pastor, a professor of theology during the day, and he was just tired. Tired from having given another presentation on the other side of the country and was looking forward to just flying and going home. So he loaded his bag above his head and he sighed at the normal-sized seat in front of him, and reluctantly he sat down. Of course, on this small plane with only two seats on each side, a man equally as large sat down right next to him and might as well have been sitting right on top of him. Like in most airline riding adventures, conversation was bound to start between the two of them, even more so because they couldn't find out where one seat belt began and the other one ended. And at first, it was just general chit-chat about the airport and the size of airline seats, but eventually... They started talking about what every person talks about when they get on an airplane. So what do you do for a living? The second passenger asked the man what he did, and he said, Oh, I'm a preacher. And just as soon as the words were out of his mouth, his seat partner declared, Oh, oh, well, I'm not a believer. The preacher didn't push. He just went on, and 
Once I got to a cruising altitude, the man started asking all sorts of questions out of nowhere about what it was like to be a pastor. And every so often during their conversation, the second man referred back to his prior declaration, and he said, oh, just remember, I'm not a believer. After hearing that for probably the fifth time, the preacher finally said, you know, it's fine. Frankly, it doesn't really change much of anything whether you believe it or not. Jesus has already gone and done for you all that he wants, whether you like it or not. The man sat quiet after he heard that, staring absentmindedly down the aisle. After a few minutes, he started talking again, though this time he began talking about something different. He talked about the Vietnam War. He had been an infantryman. He had fought in all the most awful battles, and now he pretended like it had never happened. The man just kept talking, and he wouldn't stop. He talked the entire flight from one coast to the other, describing all the terrible things he did for his country, and how, when he came back, his country didn't want him to talk about it. And finally, he said, you know, I've had a terrible time living with it, living with myself. It was at that moment that the preacher leaned over, just as they were preparing to make their descent into the airport, and he said, have you confessed all the sins? That have been troubling you. I mean, I said, what do you mean confess? I, I've never confessed anything. The preacher said, you've been confessing to me this entire flight. And I've been commanded by Jesus that whenever I hear a confession like yours, I've got to hand over the goods. I have to speak a particular word to you. So if you have anything else that's still burdening you, now's the time to hand it over. The man said, I, I think that's it. I think that's all I have. But then he grabbed the preacher, grabbed him hard like he was about to fall out of the airplane, and he said, but I told you, I'm not a believer. I don't have any faith in me. It was at that moment that the preacher unbuckled his seatbelt, and he stood up in that tiny airplane. And he looked down at the man, and he said, well, that's no trouble. Jesus says that it's what's inside of you that's wrong with the world. Nobody really has faith inside of them. Faith alone saves us because it comes from outside of us, from one creature to another. So I am going to speak some faith into you. And of course, it was then that the ding was heard in the entire cabin. The fastened seatbelt sign had turned on. The closest steward had noticed this bizarre scene unfolding and yelled at the man to sit down. But the preacher ignored kept on going, placed his hands on the man next to him, and he said, In the name of Jesus Christ, I declare the entire forgiveness of all your sins. But you, you can't do that, the man whispered. The preacher said, Oh, I did, and I must, and I'm going to keep doing it over and over and over again. So he did what he said he would do. He grabbed the man again, this time even louder. He shouted, In the name of Jesus Christ, I declare the entire forgiveness of all your sins. It was so loud, the entire plane heard it. And the man, he became a puddle of tears like a little child. The steward and everybody else in the plane sat there in silence. They knew something more important was happening in front of them. Whether they could articulate it or not, they were catching a glimpse of grace, something that truly turns everything else upside down. After the plane landed, the man leaned over to the preacher and asked to be absolved one more time, as if he just couldn't get enough of this news. So the preacher did it one more time. In the name of Jesus Christ, I declare the entire forgiveness of all your sins. 
And the man wiped away his tears and he kind of laughed to himself and he said, gosh, if what you said is true, then it's the best news I've ever heard. I just can't really believe it. It's too good to be true. It would take a miracle for someone like me to believe something so crazy good. And then the preacher had his turn to laugh and he said, you know, it takes a miracle for all of us. It takes a miracle for every last one of us. That's a true story. It happened to a preacher named Jim uh, decades ago. And I love that story. I love so many things about it, but the thing I love the most about it is that Jim did what so many of us neglect to do when we encounter the sins of another person. There's, Jim didn't just sit back and merely listen to the man. He didn't fill the void of silence with trite drivel like, I feel your pain, or I know what you're going through. He didn't minimize the man's badness with talk of duty or responsibility. He didn't deflect away or even change the subject. Instead, he offered him absolution. He gave him the gospel, the good news. The crowds listened to Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. They were hit with the bad news of their own sinfulness, and as Acts puts it, they were cut to the heart. And they respond to Peter's proclamation by saying, Well, what should we do? Repent, be baptized, turn, join us, your sins are forgiven. Peter proclaims this good news, and we encounter this rather overwhelming statistic right at the end of the passage that on that day, 3,000 persons were added. Friends, that's one hell of a sermon. Even my best sermons haven't gotten 3,000 people to come to church. You know, last week I said, we are the stories we tell. And I say that a lot in the sermons I preach. Another way of saying that same thing is saying this, what we say determines the kind of world we live in. Peter speaks to the crowds, and he tells them about Jesus. He does so in a way that they are cut to the heart. But why? I mean, what is it about the story of Jesus that cuts them to the heart? What cuts any of us to the heart? Perhaps it's the truth. We're all sinners. That is not a very popular thing to say at any time, let alone on a Sunday morning when you're dressed like I am talking into my computer. It's not popular. Telling people they're sinners, that's what the Westboro Baptist folks are supposed to do, not well-meaning mainline Protestants at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. But sin isn't just something we do when others aren't looking. Sin isn't just the horrible things done to us by others. Sin is very much who we are. We all do things we know we shouldn't, and we all avoid doing things we know we should. And for some reason, sin is something we've largely stopped talking about in the church completely. But can you blame us? We want the church to be all things for all people. We want to be inclusive. You know, open hearts, minds, doors, all that stuff. We want to affirm the sacred worth of all people. Curiously enough, though, in spite of all of our attempts to avoid offense and all of our constant talk of God loving you just the way you are, nothing seems to change. We speak affirmation but we experience less and less of it. We speak of support, but others appear too busy to pay us any attention. We speak of self-esteem building, and we use these genteel aphorisms, but more and more of us seem to think that all the problems in the world have nothing to do with us, but they have everything to do with everybody else. In short, we no longer call sin, sin. The more we do this, 
the more we keep pretending like we're all fine, there's nothing wrong with us, the church just becomes another self-help support group rather than the body of Christ where the cross is proclaimed and received. Or to put it another way, the church is not a bunch of good people getting gooder. We're actually just a bunch of bad people who are coping with our failure to be good. But today, that doesn't sell very well. <laughs> Telling people they're sinners doesn't drive them to their devices on a Sunday morning to tune in to live worship. It's not something we want to push the share button for. And yet, it is true. We're all sinners. There was, of course, a time when the only thing the church talked about was sin. And in, in particular, making people like you feel guilty about your sins so much so that it would hopefully frighten people like you to shape up and start behaving yourselves. Preacher types like me would stand up in a place like this and say something like, I need you all to write this down. There's little uh, pencils in your pews. Grab the back of your bulletin. This is the most important thing you're going to hear this week. I need you to write it all down this week. I want you to work on your racism, your sexism, your classism, your ageism, your ethnocentrism. Stop using so much styrofoam. Go vegan, gluten-free, eat locally, think globally, fight against gentrification. Don't drink so much. Practice civility, mindfulness, inclusiveness. Take precautions on your dates. Keep the Sabbath. Live simply. Practice diversity. You drink too much. Do a good deed daily. Love your neighbor as yourself. Give more. Complain less. Make the world a better place. And You drink too much. You notice anything missing in that whole laundry list? Maybe God? Come back next Sunday. I'll give you another list of things you need to do. Another list of things you need to avoid. It's going to help you fix yourself, fix the world. Peter could have looked out at the crowds at the end of his Pentecost sermon, and he could have told them to stop sinning so much. Cure yourselves of your incurable disease. Behave yourselves. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, repent, which, to be clear, means nothing more than turn. It doesn't mean go out and right every wrong you've ever committed. It doesn't mean go and reconcile with every person. It doesn't mean make the world a better place. Perhaps Peter was wise enough, or maybe it was just the power of the Spirit, to know that telling someone to stop sinning doesn't work. In fact, if it does anything, it just makes things worse. Because when we're confronted with the condition of our condition, it usually leads us to doing more of what got our conditions in that place in the first place. Instead of all that, Peter says, turn. Turn and join us. Get baptized. Become part of our ragtag group. We're a bunch of sinners. We're failing in our sins. That's it. We're a crew. We get together week after week to confess the truth of who we are and to hear a bit of good news. God is the one who saves us. We are more than our mistakes. We are forgiven. So come. Come and join us. If the only thing the church ever offers us is the command to go and fix ourselves, it will never, ever happen. Ever. But grace, on the other hand, says, trust this thing done for you, and everything is already done. Everyone in the crowd that day with Peter, everyone listening to and watching this service, and even the preacher himself is part of the, as Scripture puts it, corrupt generation. 
much as we'd like to believe the contrary, we haven't progressed very much over the centuries. We still treat certain people like garbage. We're drunk on petroleum watching the planet burn around us. And even when we come to events like the one we're in right now with a pandemic, we look out for ourselves without giving much thought at all to how it's affecting everyone else. We are just as corrupt as the crowds were that day with Peter. And in God's confounding and bewildering wisdom, the Spirit was received by them and us anyway through the proclaimed word. Now, while many of you may be rightly dubious of whatever it is you receive from preacher types on Sunday mornings, there is something rather majestic here in Acts that points to a really great and wonderful truth. Paul says it like this, Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes by the preaching of Jesus. Jim, that, that preacher from the airplane, that story I told at the beginning, he walked through the airport with his seat partner after their holy experience, and right before they made their awkward goodbye with each other, Jim put his hand in his pocket and handed the man his card, and he said, you're likely not going to believe your forgiveness tomorrow or the next day or even next week. So whenever you stop having faith in it, call me, and I will bear witness to you all over again. I'm going to keep doing it until you do, until you really do trust that it's true. Lo and behold, the next day, the man called Jim. He said, tell me one more time. He called Jim the day after and the day after just to hear him declare the gospel. In fact, he called Jim once a day until the day he died. Later, someone asked Jim why he kept answering the phone, why he kept saying the same thing to the man if he needed to hear it day after day. And Jim said, I wanted the last words he heard in this life to be the first words he would hear from Jesus in the next. So no matter who you are, and no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've left undone, no matter how good you are or how bad you are, hear this. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were sinners, not before, not after, but in the midst of our sins, Christ died for us. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Would you all please pray with me? Lord, in the mystery of dying and rising with Christ, you have upended the world. You have brought life, new life, to your church and to your people. So breathe upon us again with your spirit. Give us new life. Be with those of us who are not able to be with those whom we love, our families, our friends. Give us the strength and the wisdom to be the kind of people you've called us to be. Be with those who have to continue to work be with first responders, be with medical professionals, be with those who work in grocery stores, be with people everywhere, O oh Lord, and give us hope. Give us hope to know and to rejoice that death has been defeated in you. 
and all God's people say, Amen. When we worship, we gather, we proclaim, and then we respond to what God has said to us. It's usually at this time in worship that I ask the ushers to come into the sanctuary to receive our gifts. If you are able and wish to offer your gifts to the Lord, you can send a check to our church through the mail. You can give online through our website, or you can drive one by and leave it in the drop box we have by the the main office entrance that's upstairs in our church. But frankly, you don't have to. That's a pretty frightening thing to say, but one of the things that we often get confused in church is that what you give to church doesn't determine whether or not you get to rejoice in God's grace or not. It doesn't matter how big of a gift you give or how little. I would love to be able to be like Kenneth Copeland and tell you that you need to give $5 million to the church so I can go buy a private jet so I can go fly around and not be down here with the rest of you heathens, but that's frankly not the way the gospel works. If you can give, if you can share what you have to help other people, by all means give and give abundantly. But if you can't, then don't. Know that God loves you in spite of it. That's why grace is so crazy good, and why it almost seems too good to be true. One of the other ways that we respond to what God has said to us is by affirming our faith, and we like to do that here with the affirmation of the Apostles' Creed. If you know it, please join me. If you don't, you can find it on the online bulletin. So let us speak together and affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a short, it's a formulaic prayer that is used by Christians all across the world, particularly those from the Eastern Orthodox tradition. Its origin, that short little prayer, can be traced to the desert fathers and mothers who were in the Egyptian desert uh, starting around the 5th century. And when it is said, it is often repeated over and over and over again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The more that you pray it, the more you say it over and over again, you start to emphasize different words without even realizing it. For instance, we might say it and we might emphasize the word Lord or mercy or me. It might be louder than any of the others. And how we repeat it and what is revealed to us says something about who we are and how we're feeling, even in this weird and crazy and bewildering time we find ourselves. So this week, I encourage you to take time every day to say that prayer, the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Repeat it as many times as feels comfortable. Take notice of how the way you say it starts to shift or change 
Say it while you're washing your dishes or walking the dog or simply sitting on the sofa. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that prayer, as short as it is, it tells us who Jesus is, tells us who we are, and it tells us the gospel is good news. For the gospel is mercy. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but it is true. So with that, friends, I am grateful that you have gathered together with me on this day to hear what God had to say to us, and I would like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to hear the good news today and know that it is meant for you, news that sounds too good to be true, but is true. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. See you next week.